Father, how important it is to recognize we have your word. It is inspired. It is breathed by you. It is all that you would have us to know. You've carried men along to write it. We're thankful, God, that it is here to teach us and to train us and to correct us and to rebuke us and to so equip us to where we will be lacking in nothing whenever a good work comes our way, whenever a decision needs to be made, whenever some pruning in our own lives needs to take place. So, Father, in this time, I pray that your Spirit would teach our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We're in the book of Ephesians, and Lord willing, we will actually next week, next Sunday, be branching into chapter 5. Uh, if you've been somebody that's been kind of following along and looking at that, the break from chapter 4 into chapter 5 is terrible. Uh, it's a terrible break. In fact, there, there's a, um, a little joke that people like to tell about the guy who came along and eventually put chapter and verse numbers in the Bible that he must have been on horseback when he did it because it's so all over the place. You kind of lose the flow of what's going on. We definitely don't, don't want to do that. But another thing I think is interesting as well is we've also branched into a brand new area uh, as far as the divisions of the book. And so I know that I've shown you this a lot of times. I want to go over it just real quick so that we understand because if we don't have this down, you'll think that I'm just telling you to keep some sort of rules and you won't recognize that they're actually rooted in eternal truths that we need to embrace and know as believers in Christ. And so real quick, chapter 1 tells us about all the privileges that we have. We're actually told in chapter 1, verse 3, that you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Now, I know what you might be saying. I don't necessarily feel this morning, and it's usually contingent upon your coffee intake, that you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You may not feel like that, and that's okay. Your feelings are lying to you. Recognize that. The fact is, is that in Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead in victory, he then utilized that moment in order to shower and heap every possible needed facet that we would ever desire in our lives in order to meet every need that we ever had perfectly in himself. Now, we might not fully realize that, but when we really talk about that Christ has done these things in such a way is that he would be it all in all, and we kind of see that, we're like, well, what in the world does that mean? Or I've run over it sometimes in my Bible reading. It's the fact that every need that we would ever have would be satisfied in the person of the Son of God. Now, recognize that this is a tremendous exercise of grace, and the reason is is because you don't have to run around like a chicken with your head cut off looking for satisfaction God already gives it to you fully in His Son. Sometimes that's not the answer that we want. Sometimes we're 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 looking for uh, we're we're looking for um, I don't remember what theologian calls it. This we're looking for lovers who are less wild for our souls than what Jesus is. We find ourselves scraping after less than what Jesus died to give to us. And recognize that that, that, is, that is a place where God tries to meet us and tries to convince us, my son is enough. 
In fact, my son's not just enough. My son is everything. And I gave him for you. That's grace. That's grace. Grace is the means of which brings the Son of God to us fully and freely because that is the demonstration of the Father's love for us. It's all done so by grace. So recognize we'll never deserve it, and yet it's fully yours. And it's fully yours choosing how you would desire to take it, embrace Him, and live for Him. All of that is given to us in our privilege. That also puts us in a glorious position that by grace, we're now saved through faith. We're in Christ, and we actually, as the body of Christ, are considered His workmanship. We are His masterpiece, His carefully crafted design of which He wants to show the world about what He has done in His Son, and we are therefore testifying to that. That branches into His glorious plan for the ages in chapter 3. God actually wants to do something. Do you realize that? It's not that we just hear the gospel and we get saved and then we find a hole to sit in and wait until eternity happens singing Kumbaya. We don't do that. We actually find that He saved us to do something. And one of the great things we're going to find is is that what He is doing through Christ in us is He is illustrating this grand message to preach to the eternities in the unseen realm that, that, that we have no look into right now on this earth. And He wants to show them one thing, how gracious He was to us. That the riches of His glorious grace are beyond measurement and how He exercised that upon infinitely undeserving and forever sinful people. That's just the mercy of God towards us. So then, having said all that, and again, chapters 1-3, through He never asks us for anything. But having said that, He now prepares us for the idea of what it is to step into this brand new relationship with Him with confidence to move forward. Not because we're ever trying to earn acceptance. Recognize this. This isn't a, if you don't take out the trash, you're no son of mine kind of thing. That's not what this is. What this is, is a, because you have been born again into my family, based on nothing that you have done, it's just God's love for you being demonstrated in doing that. I've now given you an entirely brand new way to live. You don't have to live like you were. You can now live as you truly are in Christ. And so he actually, Ruth Paxson calls it this, he actually exalts us to life on the higher plane. And when we walk in obedience based off of what he's done for us, we actually find that we can now live this life on the highest plane possible. It's a brand new life. We talk about all the privileges we have, and we're going to look at that branching into, uh, sorry, forgive me, the glorious practice that we have, and we branch into the glorious prescription. Now that you get all this, Here's what it looks like. Let's paint a picture for the world to see of all these brand new realities. That's what he's doing. So, let's start in chapter 4, verse 1, and let's, let's go forward. I'm going to read a lot, explain very little, just so we can get a running start. Therefore, I love all of you that just said that. The rest of you, I like you a lot, okay? But what's that there for? Because of the grand riches of all that has been done for you in Christ, let's move forward. I, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul speaking of himself, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Now pause. That means that we've got to be saturated in all that's been done for us in Christ so that we will now operate out of that base. 
Notice, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another. How? In love. Very important. Keep that in your mind for today. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's one of those all and all and all and all passages. And you say, I don't have a clue what that means in your devotional reading. It means that God is everything that you ever need. And it all exists. And if it's not now, we'll be flipped and culminated for his glory in the end. God is always operating with the end in mind. And he does that for our lives as well. So because all of this is unified in one, we too are to be one. But to each one of us was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Sorry, to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, the speaking of Jesus, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill what things? All things. Or think of it this way when you see that. Number one, all means all. Jesus has got it covered completely, which alleviates us from a lot of panic and scraping, okay? And here's what he's done. These gifts, he's gave some to be apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for... The equipping of the saints, any saved person is a saint, any, any person who's believed, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Remember this, God's way is always onward and upward, always. That's not original with me, that's Bob Hoekstra if you're familiar with him. His way is always onward and it's always upward. That's God's desire for every single saint as part of the body of Christ. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Now, real quick, we're already positionally, spiritually, completely unified in Christ. That's already a done deal. Let's see that in action. Let's see us seeking to be unified in our conversations, our love, our service towards one another within the body. So until that moment, but also into an epignosis of the Son of God, a mature deep knowledge of who Jesus is. That's also where he wants this to lead us, and this is how it's done. Pastors, evangelists, teachers teach, equip you with the Word of God, but when this starts becoming active within the body, a building up process comes, and we all start to grow in unity and our deep knowledge of the love of God for us and His Son, and we all become mature. A mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? It means we get full grown as we ought to be full grown as Christ is full grown. That's what it means. Until, uh-oh, I, I did that one twice, forgive me. As a result, we're no longer to be children. Now everybody see this word real quick. I do want to bring an emphasis on this real quick. This means infants. It's not going to be like children we're going to look at next week, okay? But it's the idea we're no longer to be infants. Infants who stay perpetually infants. Don't just equal a lack of sleep in parents, okay? But it would be completely abnormal. In fact, you would think that something is wrong or broken 
you would say, I don't know. The child's been around for six years, but it still looks six months. That's a problem, okay? <laughs> yes, it is. My answers are real easy today, I promise you. But you would look at that and you go, wow, this is, this is not good. Something has got to happen. It's not good for the body of Christ either. Don't ever plead ignorance. If you've had the Word of God for a long time, and you're involved in a place where people are teaching the Word of God, that's not ignorance, that's negligence. Let's recognize the difference. God's desire for us is to move forward and to grow up, not to remain infants. So what do infants do? They're tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Maybe this is true. Maybe this is true. Maybe this is true. Notice how it comes about by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, that's how it's supposed to happen. Bringing doctrine in love, we are to grow up, that's God's goal, in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, now watch this, pay very close attention, the whole body of Christ being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. And remember, these people are these people. Same thing. Every joint must supply something for the building up to happen. What that is, is it's the outworking of Bible teaching in our daily lives. It has to be done properly. You can't cheat the race. Anybody ever seen that stuff where the people are in the Boston Marathon? All right, go! Bang! And everybody's running off. And then all of a sudden, Schmitty goes down the back alley on 6th Street, and somehow he ends up on 36th Street? Well, that was a hard race. Woo! Barely broke a sweat disqualified, right? Because that was not the proper working of that race in order to meet the desired goal or end. You can't do that in the Christian life either. You can't do that when we're seeking to be surrendering of self and Christ living his life through us. We actually need the word of God, an application of it for the spirit to make it alive into our lives so it becomes the epignosis and it takes time. It just does. So notice, when all of this happens, every joint working together, as they ought to, proper working of it going on, it causes, I love this, the growth of the body for the building up of itself, not in just any old direction. We're to grow up in the head who is Christ, but it's supposed to be characterized by what? Do you realize that that is the way you can gauge where you are with Jesus? You know how sometimes when kids are growing up and you have them stand against the wall and you got the little notches? You go and you figure out, yeah, you're four feet this year, okay? You're, you're five feet, you know? Okay, you're seven feet. We got to get rid of that broccoli, whatever, you know? Kids are growing like a weed. But when you do that, how do you measure that? Well, here's a question. What does your love look like for the body of Christ? What does your love look like for Jesus? Do you realize that actually both of those are one and the same question? Well, I really love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Well, then you're in sin. The church is the body of Christ. And to think at any time that the local church is disconnected from Christ is a problem. Christ and the body are one. In fact, we're told that if we are confessing our sins, we, we not only acknowledge our sin and deal with it, we have fellowship with the Lord. We walk in the light as He is in the light, but that is demonstrated in how we have fellowship with one another. It's not about growing in our love with Him necessarily as it is that being displayed with your brother or sister in Christ. 
that's a whole totally different mindset. But notice that's exactly what it does. It builds itself up in love. Good stuff. So now I want to show you this real quick because this has always been God's goal. If we go back to the idea of the privileges that we have in Christ, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and the heavenlies in Christ. That's where they're located at. Now watch this. Just as He chose us in Him, in Christ, when did He do that? Before the foundation of the world. For what reason? That we, believers, would be holy, set apart, and blameless, without fault. Before Him, who's that? Jesus. And this punctuation here is incredibly questionable because verses 3 through 14 are all one sentence. There is no punctuation in the Greek. Okay? But notice this, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. And Paul, that's how Paul writes. Paul writes with giving the how that looks at the very end. This is God's goal for us. God actually selected this end for us, that we would come to a holy and blameless point before Christ. When are we going to be before Christ? At the judgment seat of Christ. In what way? In our love for one another. And so everything that's going on is giving us incentive, reason, how-to, YouTube do-it-yourself videos, spiritually speaking, whatever you want to say about how do you get love woven into the fabric of the body of Christ so that it begins outpouring and manifesting itself and we begin going upward and onward. How does that look? So with that being said, we now look at what we saw last week. So this I say and affirm together in the Lord. You walk no longer as the Gentiles do. Those, those are pagans. Also, uh, just as the, the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Notice it's thinking being darkened in their understanding, thinking, excluded from the life of God because of ignorance, thinking or not knowing, that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in that way. If indeed you've heard of Him, or since indeed you've heard of Him, and have been taught in Him just as the truth is in Jesus that in reference to your former manner of life, the old man who you were before Christ, you lay aside the old self. Don't worry. I'm not going to do the shirt thing. I know some of you have been worried about that. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted. It goes nowhere but down in accordance with the lust of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your what? It's all thinking. If there is a spiritual problem, a bondage to sin, a struggle that's going on, you've got to address it with doctrine first. You can't just yell at believers and point your finger and say, get your act together. They need a reason. There's got to be a greater incentive. There's got to be a greater incentive. Recognize this. Just real quick, let me give you an example. People who struggle with pornography in the church, they find out something real quick once their spouse is made aware of this that the knowledge of their spouse on this sinful situation of bondage is not enough incentive for them to get out from under it. Oh, well, that makes my wife real mad. I better not do that anymore. It's not enough. As much as that love is, you find out it's not enough. 
because the draw of sin is more alluring and now I've learned how to hide it better and well, I'm just going to exchange this sin because this one is way easier to get away with. And You find that there's all sort of manipulation that goes on. The problem is not the opinion of another person regardless of how much you love them. The problem is, is that the heart needs divine surgery and only the Savior can do it. So it has to be addressed with doctrine. There is a lie that is being reverenced in the heart. We call that idolatry. Truth has to come in and knock that statue over and erect a brand new threshold of thinking that God has set forward in eternity. That's the way that that gets cured. That's the way that you come out of that situation. Your value system has to change. And that's exactly what happens here in the new man. We actually have an exchange of value system. And we don't have to operate that, like that anymore. We now have instructions of truth that cause us to become a springboard for righteousness. So notice, you didn't learn Christ that way in reference to your former manner of life. Lay it aside. It's corrupted. It's lust. It's deceit. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. Everybody got that? So here's one thing that we learn. The new man is greater than the old man. Superior. And now Paul wants to show you, here's what it looks like when the joints work properly when everything is going on just as he said back in verse 16 each joint doing its part each individual part working together be hard to run a marathon if everything from the waist down wasn't working wouldn't it it would sometimes the body of christ acts like that sometimes it well i just can't get my stuff together to make this work pause we need to recognize the new value system that we have put on that brand new jesus shirt and live for him Notice it says here, here are the things that he addresses. Here's what it looks like for the joints to work properly. Verse 25, therefore, now watch this. Thank you. Praise the Lord. I'm loving more of you. That's great. By the end, you'll all get it. We'll be harmonious. It's good. What is this? Think about it. Remember he said you didn't learn Christ in this way? But then he tells you how that worked out. Go back and look at it real quick. Let's tell you how that worked out. Notice what it says here. Uh, but you didn't learn Christ that way. If indeed you've heard of him, so you got to hear about doctrine. You get taught, you receive the instruction. Why? Because the truth is in Jesus. That's the only place where there's truth. But notice in reference to your former way of life, the number one thing you got to do is lay the former life aside. That's not me anymore. Do you realize how much that helps? I could continue doing that, but that's not me. If that's not you, it makes you two things. On a mild scale, an actor. On a large scale, a hypocrite. You ever see that? It's almost hypocritical for me to participate in this behavior because I don't know that person anymore. Some of you have walked with the Lord for years or recognize that. Some of the sins that you indulged in previously, it's almost like he has taken the word of God and he has completely Brillo padded your mind unto glory. Praise the Lord for that. Good googly, I'm so thankful all that trash is somewhere else. But he did that because he's trying to teach you what the new life is like and that you didn't need any of that to begin with. It only hindered you from being everything that Jesus ever wanted for you. So notice, number one, we've got to lay aside that old self. Why? It's being corrupted. It's in lust of deceit. Notice what needs to happen after that. Number two, I've got to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. You know what that means? Doctrine has got to take place. I need truth to do that value system. And then what happens? And then, number three, I put on the new self. Why? Because I know how to do it. 
real quick, raise your hand if you look at the specifics of a shirt before you buy a shirt. Yeah? Can I wash this with colors? You know, we do stuff like that. Is this 50-50 or is this 100%? If it's 100% cotton, what do you do? You normally buy a size bigger. Why? Because you don't want to come to church like this. You know. If you know it's 50-50, you know you're not going to have that type of problem in that. You always are checking out some of the details of what this shirt. Might be helpful to know what's on the shirt, yes? Notice what this is. By taking in doctrine, we're starting to realize more about what the shirt is like. And all of a sudden, we recognize, wow, the shirt is highly desirable to put on. Let's get that thing on now. I'm going to look good in this new shirt, right? That's one of the reasons why we buy a shirt, because I'm going to look good in it. It's the same idea here. If I know all the benefits of the shirt, I'm more likely to be wearing it as much as possible. It's the same idea. So, the new, the new is greater than the old. Here it is. Therefore, usually do this for every reason I just told you. Here we go. Look how he describes the old man. Laying aside falsehood. The me without Jesus is one thing, a lie. In the biggest and boldest text it could ever be seen, all caps ever, my old self was a lie. Because let's be honest, who do we live for in our old self? Me! And one thing that we don't recognize is it's actually Satan. That's part of the ploy. We don't recognize that we're actually bringing glory to Satan by living for ourselves because Satanism is ultimately self-worship. It's, I'll do whatever I want to. It's my way. My way or the highway. Right? Because if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Where did that paganism come from? Good grief. If that's in your kitchen, throw that out the front door and set it on fire. That's ridiculous. There's all of this self-absorption, folk theology, ideology, blah, 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 that we've come up with that exalts self. And one thing that we recognize is if this does anything, this makes me feel like that I should have an inflated pride to take upon rights for myself at the harm or disadvantage of other people because let's just face it, gosh darn it, I'm that important. I have a little post-it note connected to my... my uh, computer in my office and it's because uh my friend warren lamb told me this one time i thought it was a real good thing for me to write down i am not the arrogant exception to the rule that i think i am let's just be honest because the old man wants to get in there and say wear my shirt wear my shirt put me on don't you remember how comfortable it was even got like a comfy shirt I have a Packers hoodie that's one size too big for me. I've been wearing since like 2004, okay? Every game day at home, I'm throwing that thing on. I'm wearing it. And it's all starting to come frayed at the, I'm still wearing it. I don't care if it's got holes in it, man. Still wearing it. It's so comfortable. Just put me back on. Well, yeah, I know how to maneuver a little bit better. I can decide whether or not I can sleep in this shirt. I know what it goes with. And all this familiarity kind of woos us into this unfaithfulness. Recognize that that's falsehood. It's a lie. Notice it says instead, we've seen this before, right? Speak truth to each one of you. Didn't we see that before? It's a whole idea of we should be speaking the truth to one another in love. That was the big change when we got into the whole idea of, of what it is to actually have uh, this, this unity in the body going on. The way that you deal with it is not operating, being tossed to and fro. Instead, you speak the truth to one another in love. It's got to be verbalized. Doctrine has got to be on the front of our lips. 
with one another. How do I know that? Notice what it says. Speak truth with his neighbor. That's quoting from the Old Testament. You find this in Zechariah 8.16. You find it in Jeremiah 9.14. It's a truth that they would say, speak the truth with your neighbor. Speak the truth in community with one another, in the body. Don't lie. Listen to me, ladies. If you don't think her hair looks good, don't tell her. Just keep your mouth shut. It's okay. That'd be a very mild, superficial example of what that would look like. There are some people who are involved in some things that maybe need to be pulled aside as a brother or sister in Christ and say, listen, this is not good. The Word of God encourages you in a better way. And we need to be able to not be so sensitive to those things, to recognize that we're not living for ourselves. It's actually for the betterment of the body. And let that truth be spoken into our lives. It's got to be done in love. It's got to be done in love. That is how God whittles the body into the form of Christ Jesus. Notice, with his neighbor, and then he gives you a reason. Everybody see this? Your causal conjunction? Or, here's the explanation. We, Paul included, are, it's a fact, members of one another. Raise your hand if your right hand ever fights against your left foot. That ever happened? No, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? You know why it sounds ridiculous? Because it's all one body. And your body is not at odds with each side. What, what's going on today? Man, I have this worst thing going on. My right hand is just hating my left hand right now. I don't understand that. This is nonsensical conversation. Because the body never infights, does it? No. You never have right side versus left side. You might have right brain versus left brain sometimes. But never this, it's like monkeys with symbols. Look at that. That never works. Neither should the body of Christ, one body, have this infighting with one another. What's the biggest way it manifests itself? When I decide I'm going to put on the old man and live a lie in falsehood, and I think for some reason that's why I should be asserting myself. Recognize this also. And I don't say this to step on any toes, but I just want you to think. Sometimes the things that we are so opinionated about have nothing to do with righteousness in Christ. Have you noticed that? It's just our opinion and our preference. And if we let that go too long, sometimes we make that a hill to die on. Well, I don't agree with that. Do you not agree with it because it's not in alignment with doctrine or because your preference has been infringed upon? Recognize this. You might very well be putting on that old shirt of lies in order to try to promote a false holiness in the body of Christ. That's a danger we've got to watch out for. Instead, we are to speak the truth. Doctrine leads the conversation with one another because we're members of one another. It's about truth and not lies. It's about communally talking about truth. Here's the second thing he brings up. Be angry and yet do not sin. Now, I know some of you are like, with this, what translation is he using? Because we've been told for the longest time what's well, not right to be angry. Listen to me clearly. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul clearly tells us it is okay to be angry. Being angry is not a sin. In fact, be angry. Uh, I actually wrote this down because I knew some of you wouldn't believe it. Notice that it's in the passive. Notice it's not active. Get angry. Notice that's not what he says. Ugh. It's the idea, obviously, that something that has happened that has evoked an angry response and sometimes we feel bad and we shame ourselves or we feel guilty that we got angry over a situation. Here's a question. What was the nature of the situation that we got angry over? That's really what needs to, to weigh that out. Why was it that we got angry? Well, we've got to be careful 
Everybody's familiar with James, right? 1920, be quick to hear. Take in the information and make sure that you listen up. Slow to speak, because that's really what we want to do first, right? We want to be fast to speak. And slow to what? Anger. Notice it takes an assessment that has to go through, and he gives us the reason for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's the concern. So the question is, is what's going on that Paul says that we could be angry about? Well, I'm thankful that he's actually giving us permission to deal with it. What can we use to understand why? Well, let's look at this real quick. Be angry and yet do not sin. Which means whatever issue that you're angry about cannot have sin characterizing the anger. Because once you venture into sin, you've gotten out of a healthy anger or a righteous anger. No, Paul wants to teach us how to anger well. In fact, we can be righteously angry. Do you, do you believe that? Do you realize that one of the freedoms that you have in Christ, especially when you know doctrine and you put on this brand new shirt of the new man, is you actually get to do really well in anger? Does that sound crazy? Isn't this what he's commanding? Is this weird? Who's alive? I'm not getting any responses. They're just like, do I got something on my nose? I don't know. We actually get to angry, anger well, but we're not to sin over it. That's not what's supposed to happen. Now here's a question. What does it look like to have righteous anger? I'm pulling some extreme examples just to show you, but here's the interesting thing. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're in Scripture. It's okay. Let's, let's, let's look at it real quick. Number one, righteous anger. This is from Revelation when Jesus is evaluating these churches, people, believers. Look what he says. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You guys realize that God hates stuff? Now, who are the Nicolaitans? Well, if you were to break down their word, the name in Greek of where they got that from, it's actually the idea of creating a hierarchy system within the body of Christ that is kind of like this you answer to me, you peon kind of thing. I'm the leader here. That's one way to look at it. Another one is the fact that they were involved in, in some Gnosticism or they were involved in some strings of the occult and it's always characterized by sexual promiscuity. It's usually how most false doctrines go is sexuality is right around the corner to be tarnished and tainted. So we, they're not exactly for sure what that was, but here's the thing. God hates it. You can hate it as well, and I think that's great. Do you realize that when people want to promote as profound and better an untruth, God says you can hate that. That's fine. Or let me say it this way. We have permission to righteously hate false doctrine. There's nothing wrong with that. It shouldn't become sin. Don't just take the beginning of the verse and leave the rest of it behind. It should never become sin. But we have, we have the ability, we have the right in Christ to hate false doctrine because it's everything that's opposed to the truth. How about number two? We know this one. Well, in fact, we're real familiar. This, we sometimes think that Romans 7 is our biography. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. You know what you can hate? The stuff you don't want to do. Now, that doesn't mean like going to your mother-in-law's, okay? Everybody calm down. But what that means is when the sin nature begins to have its way and is pushing you into sin and you feel helpless and powerless against it because you're not putting to death by the deeds of the Spirit, as it tells us in Romans 8, you can actually look at that and say, the things that are coming out of me, I hate that. That's okay. 
You have every reason to. You have every reason to be angry about the fact that you're still having to deal with the sin nature. But it's that type of remaining depravity within us that really pushes us to look forward to the hope of our redemption. I mean, have you ever been here and say, good grief, I'm, I, I just mess this up all the time. I can't wait till Jesus returns. Why do we know that? Because when I'm in a glorified form, I am saved from the presence of sin. That's when he eradicates it out of my body. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for sins, my multiple offenses against him. But Jesus did not remove the sin nature from within me. That's something that gets dealt with over time by submission to the Lord, but we're never eradicated from it. But I guarantee you this, when that trumpet blasts in the blink of an eye, I'm out of here. That's going to be a good time. I can't even sin. I can't even sin. Can you imagine that? I can't even sin. Gosh. That's a happy day. So yeah, we can get it. We get so upset with ourselves over it. Recognize, in fact, if you read Romans 7, it says something really... And let's do this real quick. Let's look at it. Because it's so crazy. Look at Romans 7 real quick. And when we went over this a while back, I'll be honest with you, I've never heard anybody preach well on this. He brings this conclusion in Romans chapter 7, verses 24-25. Because he's so just like disgusted with the fact that, that the sin nature is in him doing stuff that he doesn't want it to do. Why am I thinking about that? Why am I looking at that? Why did I order that at 1 o'clock in the morning after eating nachos? You know, he's just upset with himself about what he's doing. And look what he says, wretched man that I am. Good conclusion, yeah? You think he's upset with the sin nature? Look at that, he's disgusted. Who will set me free from this body of death? What does the flesh do? Just leads us into death. Look at the conclusion he comes to. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's my rescue. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind, that's the new man, okay, am serving the law of God. Wants to be obedient, desires to worship and love Him with all my heart, all of that. But look what it says. But on the other, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. The old man that wants to hang on and try to drag me down every time I'm stepping forward, that corpse I can't seem to shake, it's just going to cause me to sin all the time. And here's what Paul's saying. That's life. That's the earthly life of the believer. And so the goal that I need to understand is, is I've got to get that better value system so that the old man keeps in check and that sin nature isn't rising up to overcome me. You can hate the sin nature. Absolutely. This one's a little bit more of an extreme example. I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Now pause, some of you know about this verse. In Galatians, Paul had come in teaching them that it's by the grace of God that they were saved in the finished work of Jesus Christ and by believing they needed nothing else. And then when he left to go to another church, some guys came up and said, you know what, it'd be good if you kept the law and got circumcised and started listing off all these rules of requirement that we're actually corrupting the gospel of grace. And Paul's conclusion here is if circumcision saves you, then cut it all off so that you're really saved. Now, some of you are like, ooh, that's gross. Some of you are like, I can't believe he just talked about that. Recognize this. The Bible talks about this. This is how the Holy Spirit feels about people adding things to the gospel of God's grace. If this is your conclusion, then go all the way. Why stop there? Don't you want to be holy? 
And if it's about what you do, then do it. Is the gospel about what we do? No. It's about what he did. It's about the finished work of Christ. So what does he say there? For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You've been set on this brand new ground. So anything that's trying to bond you, keep you down, shackle you, lie to you about the freedom of the gospel, it's wrong. And if you take it to its natural conclusion, it caves in on itself. No, you were called to freedom in Christ. Why? Because the work is done. You can hate that. It's okay. Now look at our verse. Be angry, yet do not sin. It doesn't need to come to that point. And he tells us, do not let the sun go down. Some of you got Elton John in your head right now. Deal with it in a timely way. Don't let it persist. Don't let it prolong. You ever, you ever just stewed? You ever stewed? You know, you see somebody like a Christian stewed. Something happens to them, and they're kind of happy and everything, and then all of a sudden you see them start to, they get the face, right? They, 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 get, they get the old t-shirt face. That's what happens when we let it stew. Don't let it sun go down on your anger. And here's what's interesting. This word is actually different from this one. It's actually the idea, some of your translations say this, wrath. It's actually coming into wrath. Notice, how do you anger well? You anger about righteous things. You don't let it branch into sin. And one of the ways you do that is, number one, you got to deal with it in a quickly manner, which means that when it branches into sin, bring it under the word of Christ. Take every thought captive, 2 Corinthians 10, to the word of Christ. Get doctrine in there to right the ship before it capsizes. But there's also a second thing. If you let it branch into wrath, this happens. Do not give the devil an opportunity. A door. You let it go and you don't deal with it, you're pretty much saying, Satan, come on in. We've missed you. You haven't been around in a while. We were busy living in the new man. We were busy growing in the knowledge of the Son of God and striving for practical unity, embracing doctrine and applying doctrine, but you know what? We've missed you. Come on in. If you don't deal with your anger, the enemy comes in. It's an invitation. Paul says, don't do that. It's too easy. Does everybody remember when Cain was rejected? Abel's offer was accepted. Cain's was rejected. And what does it say? God comes to him. It's almost when I read that, I almost picture God getting down with him on his level so he can look him in the eye and says, listen, sin is crouching at the door for you. You must overcome it. And Cain has a decision to make. Its desire is for you, but you must overcome it. It's the same with us. Whenever we find ourselves to be righteously angry about something, we might need to pause for a second and back up and say, we do this today. Not today, Satan. Right? Get away from it. Notice the third way. He who steals must steal no longer. Notice that this is old man, not anymore, no longer. But what should we do instead then? He must labor. Now this has become a four-letter word in our society. It's called work. You actually work. 
you actually get with it and stick with it and do a good job. Desire to strive for quality in your situation. You are real good about scheming and planning how to take things from other people. Now, flip that upside down, put on this brand new shirt and recognize that God has rescued you out of stealing, out of lawlessness. You can now work. You can now do something honest. Notice, performing with his own hands, personally involved. What is, notice that that is a moral word. It's good work. You were involved in evil work. Get your mind trained about this, about what Jesus has done for you, and put on this new man of honest work. Do something that is good. For what reason? So that he will have something to share. You ever met a thief that shares? Like Robin Hood. Stop it. It's not in a thief's nature to share. Because the thievery is about greed and self and lust and desire. That's what it's about. Do you recognize that Jesus has set you free from all those things? He set you free from it. That's what His blood did. So notice, instead, you're sharing with someone as they have need. You're now putting on brand new eyes. Before I was walking around like this, and all I really wanted to look at was myself anyway. But in Christ, I now see the need before me. And I can actually do something honestly in order to meet that need in a beautiful way. Recognize this. No one else can meet the need within the body of Christ but Jesus working through the body of Christ. Does everybody see that? Well, I'm going to get my need met out here. Don't. They can't. They won't. And I guarantee you this. If you think they will, they're going to leave something about truth out of it because that's what the world does. Stop it. That's the old shirt. Make your needs known. Sometimes we got to humble ourselves. You know, it's really a strike to my pride to let somebody know that I might need some help on this. Well, good, because we were called to humility at the beginning of this chapter anyway. So let's all get down low on the same level and let's exalt Christ and let's operate one with another about that. Find the need and meet it. How about this last one? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Here's the biggest travesty here. Everybody thinks that this is cussing. If the extent of unwholesome words that would come out of somebody's mouth is cuss words, we don't understand this verse at all. This has nothing to do with this. Let me give you some examples of this. How about words of discouragement? You ever had somebody slander you? You ever had somebody tear you down? Do you think that was unwholesome? Is it anything in relation to the new man? In the new man in Christ, my goal is here to tear all of you down. Is that how they do that? No. That's not what it's about. How about this? Unbiblical hatred. You ever notice that some people will verbalize their hatred over preference opinions and therefore they end up tainting everybody around them with that same sort of cancerous poison? It's not good. How about depressing other people? How about manipulating other people or oppressing other people? How about gossiping about other people? How about slandering other people? If you've ever made the grand mistake as a parent of looking at your child and saying, you're stupid. That's one of the most horrible things that could ever come out of a parent's mouth toward their child. That is wrong. And that fits way more with the idea of unwholesome talk than any four-letter word that I could fly out here right now that would shock you. 
recognize that. He gives us the counterpoint. This is old man stuff. No, have nothing to do with it. But only, you know what only means? It's in a category all its own, and you can't let anybody creep in. Only. Solid walls. This category alone. Only such a word as is, notice this, that's a moral call again. Good for edification. Does anybody know what the word edification means? Building up. Is it because your translation said that? Yay! No cheaters. I love it. That's great. But only such as sends people onward and upward. Is what comes out of our mouths. Husbands, how do you talk to your wives? Think about this. Wives, how do you talk to your husbands? Does it build them up or does it tear them down? Tearing down is the old man ways. All you need to do is just look outside these walls to see it happening every day. There's nothing that just destroys my heart more than if I'm walking through Walmart or something like that and I hear some parent berating their kid over in an aisle. It bring tears to your eyes thinking what that poor kid has to deal with. That's terrible. That is not the body of Christ. That's not how we've learned Christ. Get this. That's not ever how Christ treated us. Notice it's only good for edification according to the need of the moment. You know what that calls for? Discernment. You know why? Because a lot of instances we might be better off listening than talking. We might need to receive more information before. Well, I think. Time out, man. That might very well just be a, a lead ball throwing somebody in the ocean with it. Calm down. What does this situation need? What can I say to build up that person? Here's the reason why. So that it will, here's what I love, give grace to those who hear. Give grace to those who hear. It will give grace. Are you a grace giver? This is where it's manifested. Why? Didn't it say we're supposed to speak the truth in love? Didn't it say that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love? Doesn't it say about the idea of coming to the unity of the faith and also growing in the epignosis of the Son of God so that we would begin building ourselves up in love? It's all about love, 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 love. All of it. And it doesn't matter if it's here. It doesn't matter if it's here. What matters is is that we know the truth and we have put on the shirt to live according to the truth. And when we put on the shirt to live according to truth, we will live in love. There's no other way to test that out. The wind of Christ blows in the way of love. As an aside, the sister book of Ephesians, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Discernment. Discernment in utilizing our words. Let's wrap it up. So as joints, everyone here is a joint. Does that make you feel good? It's kind of weird with our street lingo today. As joints who desire to work properly, to get it done, we must take off falsehood. The old man will never speak truth. You find yourself getting ready to lie to someone, recognize this. That's not you. 
Instead, what we find is the new man always speaks truth. As joints who desire to work properly, we can be angry righteously. We can resolve that anger in a timely manner because wrath only invites the enemy into the assembly. I don't know about you, but Satan is not welcome here. And one of the ways to make sure that he doesn't get a foothold into this situation is right here. Dealing with it in this way. Let's be angry about things that we ought to because they impugn upon the truth of what God has said, but let's deal with it according to doctrine. How about this? As joints who desire to work properly, we can actually work honestly for the sake of others. The new man actually makes blessing possible. Do you realize that in the old man, you weren't a blessing to anybody? Do you realize that? Why did you help those people? Well, I helped them because it made me feel good. Yes, it did. And you loved every bit of it because it was really about you. It really was all about me. Here's the amazing thing. The new man separates us from self and now we can actually be a blessing without expecting anything in turn. In fact, if I recall correctly, that's the definition of grace. Desiring to be a blessing to somebody else without expecting anything in return. Why? Because you don't need it when you have Christ. You don't need it. The last one here is joints who desire to work properly. Our conversations can actually give grace to people. You can actually speak grace into people's lives. I think we could all use more communal grace. I could use more communal grace. Could you? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in Christ we have all of these benefits, and this is what it looks like for the body to begin working out truth. So Lord, help us to work out this truth, to be solidified in it. Help us to know the truth so we know to put on that shirt. And Father, may we wear it in such a way as to serve one another in these things, our speech, laying aside falsehood, the whole idea of us, yes, being angry over those things, but not letting sin come in, not giving the devil a foothold, dealing with it in a timely manner. Father, if we've had a past in stealing, we would recognize that's old man stuff. The new man allows us to work honestly and to be a blessing to other people. We could never do that before. And Father, also that nothing unwholesome would come out of our mouths. But instead, we would look to encourage our brothers and sisters to move onward and upward because that is your desire for us in Christ. So Lord, please convince our hearts and minds of this according to your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to sing our closing scripture instead of just reading it, but we're replacing microphone batteries right now. <laughs>